This week, and actually for the past couple of months, there's been a guy in the news um, named Kanye West. You ever heard of Kanye West? Maybe some of you have. Maybe some of you who are, who are older, or maybe some younger, like, I ain't never heard of Kanye West before. Uh, I know who Adam West is, right? You know who Adam West is? Yeah. Younger people know who Adam West was? No. Adam West was, was Batman, all right? Um, I know who maybe Jerry West is. Anybody know who Jerry West? Jerry West is like the logo, like the NBA logo. That's a picture of Jerry West playing basketball. So there you go. There's some knowledge for you if you didn't know that. But Kanye West, who in the world is Kanye West? Well, Kanye West is a rapper, all right? Kanye West has been around for a while making some music. And I mean, if I want to be honest with you, back in my day when I was younger, I'm older now. Tomorrow's my birthday. I mean, I'm 36 years old tomorrow. Uh, I'm getting old. I can feel it getting out of the bed. But when I was younger, you know, high school, um, Kanye was around, and I would listen to some Kanye, right? He had some music out there, some rap music, and I grew up in uh, a rap neighborhood, right? So, I mean, my parents listened to country. My friends listened to uh, classic rock School was always rap, so I listened to all kind of music growing up, so I know who Kanye is, but recently, Kanye accepted Christ, right? Recently, Kanye accepted, so this multi-millionaire rapper who most people have heard of accepted Christ, and it started going to church and meeting with this pastor there, and some things his pastor says, he said, um, well, this is what Kanye said, I was just under the weight of my sin. And I was being convicted that I was running from God. And I knew I needed to make things right. So I came to Christ. I came out of darkness into light. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty big. And then his pastor says, hey, I've spent enough hours with this man to know God is doing a work. And Kanye actually flies his pastor anywhere he is on Tuesday mornings to come meet with him and do Bible study. All right, so his pastor's in California there. His pastor teaches at a seminary, pastors the church um, there. And Kanye would say, hey, I want to read the Bible with you every Tuesday morning. I mean, I know we have like Skype and all that, so I don't know. But he flies them out there. I'm in New York this week. I'm flying you out on Tuesday. We're having a Bible study every Tuesday morning together. Wow, that's, that's pretty big, right? And then the pastor also says the fruit that I'm seeing is he's no longer continuing in some of the sin patterns that he was before he came to Christ. Right now, every day, he is living and walking with God. So from what I can tell, there's no reason for me to, want to, encourage, to not want to encourage that and be a part of it. Kanye, so it seems, has had a drastic life change. Friday, he came out with an album called Jesus is King, right? Maybe some of you have heard it. Maybe some of you don't look. It's like, I don't know the album Jesus is King, but I know Jesus is King, right? Um. But came out with an album, Jesus is King, which is all gospel-based songs. Wow, came out with a whole new album, Friday. He says he's coming out with another one. Jesus is born on December 25th. Appears to be a life change going on. And even with all of that, even with what he has said, his pastor has said, the album he came out with, there's still over and over the voices of, We'll see. Right? We'll see. I mean, come on. It's Kanye West. Uh, maybe you don't know his music, but maybe you know, hey, he's the, I mean, the guy that jumped up on stage when Taylor Swift was getting an award and took the microphone from her and said, no, Beyonce deserves that award, right? I mean, this guy 
We'll see. This is probably some publicity stunt, right? He's been holding church services all around the nation and, you know, having his pastor come and preach the gospel of these things. But he's, he's obviously probably just trying to make more money, right? I mean, this is some kind of stunt from Kanye. This can't be real, right? And for a lot of us, we doubt how this could happen to this guy. There's got to be some catch. But why do we do that? Yeah, we should examine someone for the fruit they're putting out, but if everything is kind of pointing towards, he's putting out some good fruit. Why do we doubt? This story is too good to be true, right? I mean, come on, God saves people, but Kanye? But then I look at my own life. Say, man, if God can save me, and I have no problem believing that God could save me. Man, God can save anybody. Man, if God can save me from where I was, the trouble that I was in, the sin that I was in, man, God can save anyone. No one is so far they can't be reached by God. So, I mean, I, can, I don't know for sure about Kanye, but I know for sure about me. And if God can save me, man, he can sure enough save Kanye. Today we're going to be looking at some verses in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to see how God can make dead things come alive. We can see how God makes dead things and breathes life into them. So if you would, if you're in your Bibles there, go ahead and jump to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read a little bit for you here. And you. Pause. All right. We didn't get very far. All right. Actually, most of what we're reading today in the original language, in the Greek, is actually just one really big sentence. A huge sentence. And because that's a a big, long sentence, we decided to make it almost three sentences here. But in the Greek, it's one big sentence we're going to be going through today. But we're going to stop after two words because I think you need to know Something that we struggle with in the English language a lot of times is really getting across what the Greek says. And here, you, it's plural, all right? It's plural. He's not just talking to to just one guy in Ephesians here. And you, and Mississippi, we have a good word. And it's y'all, all all right? Y'all. I know it may not be proper, English, uh, it may not sound like I'm very educated when I say y'all, but my Bible could use some y'all sometimes to help me understand it here, all right? So y'all, all y'all, all y'all, all y'all, all right? All, maybe all y'all, does all y'all sound better than y'all? Five times better? Oh, man. Y'all just wants to come out, though. It's come out. Okay. Uh, look. You all, every single one of you, and you, and y'all, and you all were dead in your trespasses and sins. All of you, every single one of you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. Got another pause. We got to talk about that for a minute. I love movies. Love movies watch a lot of movies and I love 
especially comedies. I just like to laugh, right? I like to laugh. My kids crack me up all the time. Right? My wife, I don't think she likes it when I laugh at her, but it's, it's good, all right? Um, funny, all right? Catches me off guard. That's the kind of humor I like is the kind of humor that just kind of catches you off guard, right? So I like movies like Napoleon Dynamite, and I like movies like Nacho Libre, all right? So the different types of, of humor there. One of my favorite movies, though, is The Princess Bride. You ever seen The Princess Bride? It's an older movie. I don't know, maybe I liked it because Andre the Giant was in it, and I was a big wrestling fan, right? As you know, I'm named after a wrestler. But The Princess Bride. And in there, there's a guy named Miracle Max. Huh? You ever heard of him? Yeah, maybe, if you haven't seen the movie. Either way, the guys, they bring in Wesley, who they think is dead, and they set him before Miracle Max. Right, you already know where I'm going, right? They think he's dead, and they're asking for a miracle. Hey, help us out. What does Miracle Max say? Yeah, he's like, hey, he's not dead. He's just mostly dead. There's a big difference between dead and mostly dead, because mostly dead is slightly alive. It's a good line, great line. But I have searched my Bible over and over and over, And I've searched my Greek New Testament at home over and over and over. And the word mostly, it's not in there. It's not in there. Or slightly, it's not in there. So you were dead. Not mostly dead. Not slightly dead. Not kind of dead. You were dead. You were dead. Not sick. Man, that's a powerful word, Paul. Why you gotta, I gotta whip that out on us here. I was dead. Dead? What was I dead? Dead in sin? Dead in my trespasses? What's a trespass? You ever seen a sign that says no trespassing? Obviously, all of us probably have, right? No trespassing. Do not cross this line. Trespass. Like I'm gonna cross the line. I don't, I don't care the signs there. I'm going to cross the line. It's to challenge God's boundaries. It's to rebel and to be a rebel. Challenge God's boundaries. And sin. Sin's, you missed the mark. You got a big target there. My dad used to have a, uh, I don't even know what it's called, man. Something we shot our bow and arrow at, a big target in the backyard, um, there in our yes we lived in a city limits there was an alley and somebody's house right behind us and houses right next to us and houses all around us I'm not sure why he thought it was a great idea uh to give us as little kids bows and arrows right but we would be in the backyard with real bows and arrows shooting at this target I mean if we were five feet higher we were in the neighbor's backyard right with a with an arrow so hopefully their dog went out there or something all right but we would have those in the backyard we'd be shooting these arrows at the target. So sin. So you missed the mark. You missed the, you mean you were way over the fence. You have shot something in the other yard over there. You were way off. Trespasses is you're challenging God's boundaries. You're rebelling. You rebel against God. And sin is, hey, you just completely miss the mark. You miss the perfect standard of God. Your failure. 
we were both rebels and failures. So we were dead in our rebellion. We were dead in our failure. We were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. Every aspect of human existence was corrupted by sin. No good work we could, could perform could bring us back to life. We were dead. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us are in desperate need of salvation. Every single one of us, without Christ, are on a collision course with divine wrath and holy judgment. In the late 1700s, early 1800s, there was a man named Jeremy Bentham. Anybody ever heard of Jeremy Bentham? Probably not. All right. Jeremy Bentham was the father of utilitarianism, which is basically that you kind of judge everything in society by it is the greatest happiness of the greatest number that is the measure of right and wrong. Right? This guy helped founded that movement there. He also had a weird sense of humor. Just a weird, kind of a dark sense of humor. When he passed away, he said, I want to give my entire estate to this hospital on the condition that I am at every single board meeting. And I said, okay. So when he passed away, they mummified his head. They took his Skeletal remains, put clothes on them, stubbed it with straw and hay. I guess the original uh, scarecrow there. Um, and they would, legend says, would will him out to the board meetings and sit him there with his mummified head and his body. And the moderator would say, okay, Jeremy Bentham, present, but not voting. Uh, uh, but he would be there, or at least in the beginning, not anymore, even though his remains, apparently Google helped me with this, are still on display for anyone to see that wants to see them. You can go and see them there in London. Thankfully, it's way over there and not like in Woodland. Um, <laughs> no matter how hard Jeremy, Mr. Bentham, wanted to be around after the fact that he was dead, he was dead. No matter how many meetings he was rolled into, he was dead. No matter how much you pretend to be alive, when you're dead, you're dead. You can pretend and try all you want. When you're dead, you're dead. And John Stott so we should not hesitate to reaffirm that a life without God, however physically fit, mentally alert the person may be, is a living death. And that those who live it are dead, even when they are living. Like zombies walking around. We're dead. We're alive. We're walking around. We're dead. We didn't need resuscitation. We need a resurrection. Right? Right? When you're dead, resuscitation is not going to help a whole lot. You've got to have life put back in you by the only one who can put life back in you. 
So not only were we dead, let's keep reading a little bit. We haven't gotten very far into this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Not only were you dead, you were enslaved. You were enslaved to sin. Sinner is dead to God, but very much alive in the flesh, the world, and the devil. John 8, 34 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Sin enslaves. Enslaved by what? Well, you're enslaved to the world, your fleshly desires, and you're enslaved to the ruler of the power of the air, Satan, working in the disobedient. You are dead, you are enslaved, and now you're condemned. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. The tragic picture of life without Christ begins by calling sinners dead in their trespasses and sins. But it gets worse. Not only are sinners dead, They're also enslaved, and then it gets even worse. Not only are you in bondage to the world, now you're condemned by God. We were children of wrath. I think about my life, who I was growing up, who I was before God. I've shared with some of you before, man, I've done some pretty stupid things in my life. I've done some pretty crazy things in my life. I've done some a lot of things I shouldn't have done. When I was twelve years old, I was playing outside with my best friend in the entire world when she was tragically killed right next to me. 12 years old, playing in the backyard, and the huge brick column that's attached to chicken wire falls over, crushed her skull, and kills her instantly. And I'm this close to her, and I'm the one pushing down the fence that causes the column to fall. We went to the funeral, and then Amy's name was never really spoken again in my house growing up. It was almost as if she never existed. So now as a 12-year-old, I'm forced to go throughout the rest of my life battling with the fact that I killed my best friend. Because of that, I don't deserve anything good. Because of that, I don't deserve to be happy. Because of that, there was an evil spirit on me that I just couldn't seem to shake. And I would turn to one thing after another thing to try to ease some of the pain. Anything the world could offer, I got a hold of. But then God got a hold of me. I had accepted Christ before that, but there was no discipleship. There was actually just two months before that, sixth grade vacation Bible school, said the sinner's prayer, was baptized, knew God. 
that's all I knew about God. Then Satan attacks. No one was there. I felt lost and abandoned even by God. We were dead in our trespasses and in your sins. We're no better off than what Kanye was. But God. But God. Two of the most powerful words in the entire Bible. But God. The only thing that can make the dead come to life. But God. You were dead. You were without hope. You had no chance. You were condemned and under the wrath of God. But God. Wasn't for those two words. Our future would be pretty dim. If Paul ended after those first three verses there, I have no hope. We're done for. There's nothing we can do. But God. The title of the sermon today, when the problem becomes a solution. And you're like, what in the world is this dude talking about? All right. At the risk of not being committing heresy here, um, the sinner's problem is not just sin. The sinner's problem is also the punishment for sin. And what's the punishment for sin? The full wrath of God. So in a sense, God is the sinner's problem because they're going to get all of God and all of his wrath. But God then became the sinner's only solution. There's no other way. There's no other option that you were getting the full wrath of God, but God then became the only solution to your problem. God is rich in mercy. But God is also holy. Isaiah 6 3 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is holy and we are not. God is also just. Sin must be punished by righteous standard. I had a professor in seminary who made some incredibly hard tests. You know it's bad when the professor stands up before the test and says, here's your test. If I were taking this test, I would probably make a low B. I'm like, if you're the professor and you're going to make a low B, ain't no hope for me, right? But luckily... He gave a sliding scale, right? So 
whatever the highest grade was, which was usually still a failing grade, like in the 60s, those things were hard, he'd move that up into the 90s, make it an A, and then everyone else's grade would move up. Most of the time, there was a curve of about 40 to 50 points on these exams. But with God, there's no sliding scale. You can't compare yourself to someone else and say, I'm good. I mean, I did bad, but look how bad they did. Let's make me now good, and you can slide them up some. There's no sliding scale with God. Your excuses aren't going to work. Your comparisons will not work. God is just. And God is also sovereign. He rules and overrules, superrules everything. So God is holy. God is just, and God is sovereign. And if you're keeping score, all three of those things are not good news for sinners. Good news for us, but not good news to one still enslaved in sin. God is holy, we are not. God judges by a standard that no one can obtain. God judges sin with an authority that no one can escape. We need to be saved from more than just sin. We have to be saved from the wrath of of God. Luckily, the only one that could save you did. The but God, sinner's problem, now became the sinner's solution. What God required, God supplied. God intervened to save us from himself. But God wraps up the entire gospel. You were dead. But God. Bad news, you can't save yourself. Good news, you don't have to. My dad passed away in November. So it's getting close to a year now. Uh, my dad passed away suddenly. I was working at Chick-fil-A. I remember getting the phone call from my brother. As I'm there, I ignored the first phone call because I'm working and it's Chick-fil-A and it's busy. Um, but when he called two times in a row, I knew he needed something. So I stepped back to the back real quick to answer and he gave me the news that, hey, totally dad, dad passed away. He had a heart attack. So I instantly get all my stuff and pile up my kids and we hit the road in the middle of the night to drive the eight, nine hours to Mississippi to my mom's house to be with her. And my brother and sister were driving in. My brother was in Alabama. My sister was in Kansas. And we're all kind of just merging at mom's house to be there. Apparently, he had fixed his morning coffee. My mom had left for work, and he was retired. And he usually went and sat down at the muffler shop with all of his buddies and would spend the day just shooting the breeze down there. Sounds like a good retired life, right? When she came home from work, he was in the, the middle of the living room floor and didn't even finish his coffee, never changed out of his, out of his pajamas. I remember going to his funeral and standing above the, the casket there, the coffin there, and seeing him. It's one of those, like, my dad was a jokester. <laughs> and you think, going to pop up, right? I mean, come on. Dad, are you wishing it? Come on, just 
Pop one up out of there. But dead things can't make themselves alive. No matter how hard I wished it, no matter how hard I wanted it to happen, when you're dead, you're dead, and you're not coming back to life. But God made us alive when we were dead. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses, even though we were dead, as dead as it could get, God made us alive. See, our past here in the first three verses were not simply recalled just to bring some attention to ourselves and just to talk about how bad we are. Our past here was recalled in the first three verses to magnify the wonder of God's mercy and draw attention to God's mighty action through Christ. See, God who is rich in mercy. We sing songs like Amazing Grace. Mercy is just as amazing. So what's the difference? What's the difference between amazing grace and amazing mercy? Well, mercy, let me explain it this way. Boom. Hopefully I haven't drank all my water. Pretend this is us. We're not this clear. We're dead. We deserve the wrath of God. And this thing should fill all the way up. That's how bad we were. But for the sake of the illustration, I'm not going to fill it all the way up. We had on us as dead sinners the wrath of God. This is what we deserved. But mercy and grace, mercy has to come before grace. Because mercy is, you deserve this. I could add grace to this your wrath is still going to be there. Mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. We do deserve wrath, and God's mercy said, you deserve wrath, but, pause in the illustration, I'm not Jesus, open the illustration, but, Jesus came, and took the wrath that was yours. He drank the wrath that belonged to you. And now, because he did that, he took what you deserved. Now God can give you what you don't deserve, which is his grace. And that's the difference between grace and mercy. Man, that illustration almost ruined because I almost didn't have enough water in there. But, Mercy would, his grace would overflow as well. You were filled with God's wrath that you deserved. Mercy said, I'm sending my son to take that wrath, to take what you do deserve, and I'm not going to give you what you do deserve anymore. I'm going to send you grace. And grace is, instead of giving you what you do deserve, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve, which is the kind of the same thing. I'm giving you my son. You don't deserve him. You deserve my wrath, but instead I'm sending you my 
son to take my wrath, and now I'm giving you access to me. I'm giving you myself. I'm taking away your sins, even though you did nothing to deserve it. Here's my grace. Man, he is rich in mercy. When we first moved here, we realized that, man, groceries are more expensive here. <laughs> right? I'd go grocery shopping, and the grocery bill used to be one thing back in Missouri. There's a lot more here. Right? And don't even give it, get me started on the price of steaks here. But either way, <laughs> we first moved, and I knew how much we had in the bank. I knew how much groceries should cost. So we went grocery shopping. I mean, three kids and my son, man, I already think that dude eats more than I do. All right, and he's only six, so I'm in trouble. Um, Had our basket filled up. We call them buggies down south, by the way. Had our buggy, our basket, our shopping cart filled up. I'm standing there and I'm watching this total go up and up and up. And I'm thinking, back in my head, I'm thinking, you only got this much, man. Don't go over and I'm praying, don't let it go over. And I'm trying to remain calm on the outside because the cashier is looking at me, my wife is looking at me, my kids are looking at me, and I'm freaking out on the inside like, we're going to go over. Like, I'm going to have to put some of this stuff back. We're not going to make it. We made it. Um, <laughs> barely. <laughs> barely. But you learn something. Don't put something on the counter unless you got something in the bank to back it up. No matter how much of your sin is there, when you put it on the counter, there's always enough mercy in the bank to cover it. God's mercy never runs out. God's mercy is never getting close to running out. He's not watching it like, oh, man, that's a lot of sin on that counter right there. I don't think my mercy, I don't know if I got enough of that back there to cover which your debt is, but he always does. He always does. Verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. His love is great. And why is it great? Because of the source of it, right? Right? It's great because this love is coming from God. God loves you. Think about that. God, God, the God, the God that spoke everything into existence, the God who parted the sea, God loves you. Isn't it a horrible feeling if you feel like somebody loves you and then they get to know more about you, and they don't really like you anymore. So, I love my wife. I love Michelle. Before I knew Michelle, and I'm not a, you know, as handsome now as I was then, but went on several dates before Michelle. You know, through college and high school, had other dates. And I remember going on this one date, and 
It's great. We're going on our first date, and we went in downtown Memphis, Tennessee, and we were hanging out. And on the first date, I went ahead and said, hey, look, I like you. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to be my girlfriend. First date. Here we go. And I did. And she said, yeah, sure. And you go to bed like, man, I'm on top of the world, right? I got a girlfriend now, man, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm going to sleep good tonight. And the next day, she called and changed her mind. Um, <laughs> that's a true story. Um, so sad, I'm going to cry. Um, but it's sad when you love someone and you think someone loves you, but then they get to know you. And they don't really like you too much anymore. Well, here's the deal. God loves you, and he already knows every stinking thing about you. God loves you, and he already knew what you smelt like when you were dead. God loves you no matter what. For while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans. This is Christ's love. This is God's love that you were dead and Christ died for you. Not only did he die for you, verse 5, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. You are saved by grace. We've talked about before, dead people can't save themselves. Dead people can't bring themselves back to life. You are saved by grace. This is why there's no place for boasting, right? None of us were number one draft picks coming out of college, you know. We're the best, and God's like, hey, look, I got to have this dude on my team. Look how good he is. Man, this guy is awesome. He's my number one. I'm picking him number one in the draft. Got to have him. Because of him, my team, we're going on to win it all this year. All of us were bench warmers. Weren't even in the discussion, right? But God. But God. No place for boasting. All of us were on the same page. All of us were dead. One of us wasn't more dead than the other. We're all in equal standing here and that we were all dead. And through Christ, we can all be alive. He raised us up with Christ. That's in verse 20. We are looking forward to a physical resurrection, but spiritually, we are already raised with Christ. So not only did he make us alive with Christ and raise us up with Christ, he seated us with Christ there in verse 20 as well. Actually, I don't even know. Not verse 20. I'm sorry. (laughs) I was like, verse 20? We're not even in verse 20. Chapter 1, verse 20. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand 
in the heavens. So when we go across, it kind of corresponds with that in the verses we're reading where it says, he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So he showed his power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand. And then here in us, he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ. My youngest is small, Lucy. Maybe some of you have met Lucy before. Uh, we've been places before, most recently not here, but back in Kansas City, the zoo. We'd go to the zoo, and there'd be tons of people. There are people all over the place because Kansas City would send you out a coupon where your entire family could get in for free once a month during the summer. All right, so, man, there's, there's families all over the place, right? I mean, we should do that here. But we would go, and there'd be people all over the place, and Lucy would be trying to see what she wanted to see, and there'd be too many people, and she doesn't like large crowds anyway. And she'd come over and just sad, maybe some tears, and, Dad, I can't see. Can you pick me up? And I'd pick her up, and I'd you know, put her on my shoulders, and now she can see. So now all this, the tears became joy, right? And all the sadness became happiness, and now in her new seat, she can see. That God picked us up, gave us a new seat, a seat where our sadness can become joy, a seat where our tears can be wiped away. We know more of that because now we have the best seat in the house. Why did God do all this? Why? We talked last week about how why would God send his son somewhere when everyone else he had sent, all of his prophets and messengers that he used were killed or beaten or tarred and feathered or whatever else they could think of. Why would he send his son there? Well, why would God take us, these deadbeats, these dead bodies, and put life in them? Why would he do that? Let's read. Raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness in Christ Jesus. So why did he save us? In ages to come, he wants to show the immeasurable riches of his grace. He saved you. He saved me just to show how much grace he has. Imagine the angels sitting in heaven and say, hey God, show us how can we see this, the sovereignty of you? So we'll look at my creative works. So God, how can we see your holiness? He said, look at my, my law. God, how can we see your faithfulness? He said, look at Israel. God, how can we see your love? Look at the cross. God, how can we see your grace? Look at him. Look at me that God put his grace on full display when he saved us. It says, coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace 
through his kindness to us. I just realized how far over I'm going. I'm sorry. God loves us. And God, we are his trophies in heaven to show his grace, the immeasurable richness of his grace. Closing in this, once again, I apologize for going over. In Seattle, was a lady, a girl named Laura Hatch. Laura, 17 years old, 2004. Her family had almost given her up for dead, and the sheriff deputies had all but written her off as a runaway. See, Laura was at a party with some friends, and she never came home. So our family called the sheriff's department and said, hey, we need to find our girl. The sheriff's department went out and saw, that okay, there was some stuff going on at the party. She's, she'll turn up in a couple of days. She's just run away. Maybe some stuff's going on at home. Her parents refused to believe it. They got together a huge search party, and they went out looking for her. They started posting her pictures everywhere. This lady saw her picture, saw Laura's picture, and went home and started having dreams about Laura. And a voice saying, keep going, keep going. So the next day, her and her daughter went out and were driving down this wooded area that was in her dream and stopped and looked over the ledge there, looked over the ravine, and there down below was Laura's vehicle. And Laura was in it. It had been eight days. The EMTs on the scene pulled her out. She was joking with them. She was still alive. She was joking with them and thought that she'd only been gone for a couple of hours. They pulled her up and said, hey, eight days. She should be dead dehydration she should be dead there's no way she's made it eight days without anything to drink she shouldn't be here they took her to the hospital start looking her over had some broken bones and the doctor comes out and says hey guys she has a blood clot in her brain she should be dead there's no way she should be alive but because she was dehydrated blood clot didn't move through properly. What should have killed her saved her life. So it is with us. God's wrath should absolutely destroy us. But God's grace and mercy and love gives us life. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, and for saving us. Thank you that you're in the business of bringing dead things to life. We love you. Thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.